each other, Ken. I ever break a promise to you? I will put you in the driver's seat at Le Mans. You just shut your mouth and let me do my thing. All right. Morning, Shelby. Morning, Molly. Up yours. I'll go to hell. And that's it, folks. Ferrari wins the 24 hours of Le Mans for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford, Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars in ugly factories. And, uh, he called you fat, sir. We're gonna bury Ferrari at Le Mans. So the great Carol Shelby is gonna build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them you needed? Two or three hundred years? Ninety days. <laughs> Ford hates guys like us because we're different. He's difficult. Ken? No, no, Ken's a puppy dog. We're stepping in the highway, girl. It's so there's a problem, the computer will find it. Get some scotch tape and a ball of wool. What are they doing? Making your car faster. Oh, Ken Miles is not a Ford man. We're on the verge of something. And now you tell me that I can't have the best man in the world behind the wheel? Give me one reason why I don't fire everyone starting with you. Well, sir, we're lighter, we're faster. So nice. And that don't work, we're nastier. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. You got a plan. It's high risk. I thought the whole point was to win the damned race. If this were a beauty pageant, we just lost. Looks hard, everything. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And we've got Car Fever in episode 148 today, November 22nd, 2019. We are going to just jump right into our movie review of Ford v. Ferrari, which I know Steve is just chomping at the bitch <laughs> <laughs> to be able to get into and talk about everything else. And so uh, I, I, I say we, we, we do what we always do. We'll start off with spoiler-free, high-level impressions of the film, and then we will go right into our spoiler territory. So we'll give you a, a fair warning ahead of time, but... I'm going to go ahead and just rip-roared into you, Steve. What did you think of this film uh, from a spoiler-free, uh, high-level impression? It was everything I wanted it to be. Oh, my goodness. You heard it right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, did you now? <laughs> when I saw the movie was being made and coming out, I think this time last year, Ross, or around this time, maybe it was December. I Anyway, I thought, yes. This is going to be awesome. It's either, well, it had, it was either going to be an infomercial or it was going to be friggin' sweet. Yeah. 
And then when the trailer came out, I said, it's bordering the line of friggin' sweet, but you never know until you watch it. <laughs> yeah. And then you watch it and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought it was scripted well. I thought I loved the music. I thought it was paced great. Um I I I found a couple things that I would would probably have done better. Probably like one thing I would have done better, but that wouldn't won't change my rating of the film, Russ. Well, not one iota, not hey, Steve. One Lee Iacocca. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I had a blasty blast and I'm trying to make arrangements to go see it again because I've yet to see it in IMAX and I'm dying to go back. Well, and hopefully it will remain in IMAX for a while just because I know there are a lot of other films that are kind of coming out for the the winter season. And so we'll have to keep a sharp eye out there. Um, I know the, the IMAX here that's close by to where we live it had it up there. Uh, we'll have to look again after the recording and, and see if it's still playing in IMAX. Maybe if it if it's not playing all the time, maybe there are certain time frames where they're swapping movies out and stuff. So what we'll have to see, because I too would love to be able to see that on IMAX. What did you think of the movie? I thought it was a whole heap of fun. I thought it was a really well done film. Uh, I think... <clears throat> when it comes to these types of films, first of all, I have um, a fascination with the, the 50s and 60s. I think that during the the immediate post-World War II era, there was just this, uh, this, this euphoria that was taking America by storm. And I think there were a lot of folks who were pushing boundaries in, in various ways that was very creative and, and in terms of engineering and design. And I think that... The, the 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 car industry in particular was super fun and and just when I think of some of my favorite cars ever they came from that time period of like the 50s and the 60s and so it was really fun not to mention the fact that my favorite car manufacturer that is not in America is Ferrari Ferrari is my favorite and it was fun to be able to see some of the the the, the background story and, and whatnot just because I'm not as much of a, a diehard car enthusiasts like you are. I tend to go to you for more of the, the information on things, but I find myself really appreciating how a car is made and how a car handles and that sort of thing. And so it was a lot of fun. Of course, I'm a big fan of, of Christian Bale and I thought Matt Damon did a nice job as well. We'll get into that later, but overall highly re recommend everybody checking it out. I think that this is one of the, the most enjoyable original films of the year. And Hey, for those of you that perhaps are feeling a little, uh, comic book movie fatigue, I think this is a wonderful antidote to that. I Absolutely. I think that, that this is, is just a, a great film that I think anybody would, would truly enjoy watching. So Without further ado, though, I think we could just kind of step into the spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the film, you may want to pause us, or if you don't care, then we'll just keep listening. And let's just go into the plot overall. Let's, let's kick it back to you, Steve. So basically, if you haven't heard of Carol Shelby, you definitely will now. And if you don't know the story, um, I mean, there's not really a... <laughs> well, I guess there would be a spoiler, but... <laughs> so... What basically is going on is 24 Hours of Le Mans is like the oldest, longest race race in history. And you race this track for 24 hours straight. You swap out drivers and you keep on putting gas in the car and swap out, I guess, parts as they wear out. Hopefully they don't. 
but um, it's a it's a long endurance. I mean, you're going the same track from sunup to sundown, and you gotta you gotta keep with it. Ferrari only wanted to race. Enzo only wanted to race. Never wanted to make production cars. Is that was that his name? Enzo Ferrari. Okay, that's his first name. Enzo. Okay. Yes. Which, which that's why they made that one production car, I think around 2000, uh-huh. 2003. Yeah, Ferrari yeah. Enzo, that, that's why okay. they called it the Enzo. Anyhow, he only wanted to race, didn't want to get into production. But the rules of Le Mans were, okay, well, you have to race a car that the every man, every, everyday man can drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why he started making the Ferrari production line. But he always was focused on racing. No one could beat Ferrari. Ford wanted in on it and didn't know what to do. They were just kind of a everyday uh, sedan for the everyday person kind mm. of company. And um, they wanted to branch out a little bit, but didn't know how and brought in Carroll Shelby uh, and his expertise and his little team to design a car, make an engine, test it out, and put Ferrari six feet under as long as they could. Right. Well, I think that, and I'm not even sure how much of this movie is completely true versus things that are made up. I assume that they probably did their their background research on these very famous people. And I'm sure also that just because of, of the different antics that went on, that they it probably wasn't too hard to find out quite a few different things that transpired. But I, for one, really enjoyed the pacing of the film. Some people were talking about how perhaps like the first quarter or first half of the film was slower than the second half. But for me personally, I think I I found myself really enjoying that. I I liked the, um, the, the slow pace that started out where you're just being introduced to this time period. And I liked how you really got the feeling of just what everyday life was like back then, which I mean, it's, it's considerably different than today's world. And it was cool because I just I just felt like I was adequately brought back in time to that and, and just seeing just how people were treated and how they dressed and how the, the neighborhoods looked and that sort of thing. And, and then, of course, going into this, what I find to be very fascinating about the film <clears throat> was the idea about how some of these car manufacturers were family based. Like you right. have, you know, Ferrari was indeed it was started by the, the Ferrari family. Ford was the same way with Henry Ford. And I'm sure there are, there are other car manufacturers. I mean, when you think of like Toyota, for instance, I'm sure Toyota stems from a family. Um, Lamborghini is another one that came from Pagani. Uh huh. And so I, for what, and Shelby and there you go. And so I think it's, it's really cool because it in the film, they really took their time in I want to say like just exploring the family pride, I guess is a good way of putting it where clearly the, these different companies have produced a product that is beloved by all kinds of people, millions and millions of people, if not billions of people. And it's interesting to see what comes along with that. Obviously you have humongous egos. You have people who are very, biased towards certain ideologies or what whatnot. But also too, I found myself silently applauding uh, some of the stances that were taken, such as like, for instance, when Ford had approached Ferrari to, to acquire them because they were bankrupt. 
and how there was that one question that the the owner asked and when it was responded with a no you 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 can't do that on your own what was crazy was that in the story of course it showed how Ferrari was kind of using Ford to actually get a better price from a different company. But what struck me was the level of emotional anger in his response to the, the VP of marketing or whatever the, the guy's title was just, and the reason I say that is that normally, like if you're trying to manipulate a situation for your monetary gain, normally you just be like, well, I don't, I, I'm just not going to be interested in that that offer. Thank you, but no thank you. But right. he got really pointedly mad at the response of him just saying no. And I don't think that that was necessarily just pure posturing on his behalf. I think because he's Italian, because he he knows that he has a fantastic company and just being in this type of, of scenario that he's in, I think that 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 family pride kind of all of a sudden came up and it just bubbled to the surface. And he just wanted absolutely nothing to do with the Ford company whatsoever. So I thought that was really cool to be able to see that. But it was that wasn't the only scene in the film that that kind of explored that. I mean, we saw that quite a bit with Henry Ford II, where he oftentimes really just had a bit of a, a a pompousness to him, of course, and someone who tried to to play the the role of a hardliner, and it really almost had kind of a a byproduct of being spoiled. Like you know, he was born into this empire, this yeah, huge yeah. empire, and uh, so it was cool again to be, to be able to see how you had these power players that, you know, obviously they had a lot at stake in terms of their family dynasty and their, their empires, like you said, and, and they wanted to show each other up. So from just from that part of it, I was very much fascinated with what was going on. And, and I, I didn't really know the story. Did you already know everything about this prior to seeing the film? Not everything. No. Uh, it's funny because when I start to think about Carol Shelby, I want to do all my research and, <laughs> and the guy is a legend. I mean, when I start to research, I, I want to eat it up and then I have to continue my life at some point. And so then I stop, but I don't, there's a lot that I don't know. Um, <laughs> I actually but, have a random question for you in the film. When, when, at the beginning, when we see Carol Shelby racing, he was at Le Mans, right? Correct. And who was he representing though? Like which car company? Uh, Aston Martin. Oh, yeah. That's how he knew he, that, that he knew a lot of contacts <laughs> in Britain and was racing for Aston Martin. And the reason why Lee Iacocca came to see Shelby was because he was the only American racer who yeah. had raced 24 hour Le Mans and would know anything about it. And he and and Shelby actually won Le Mans. Uh, I don't recall if he won. I think he. Okay. Did, I think he did win, but I can't. I, I might be mistaken. Um, but he was an excellent racer, and Ferrari actually uh, offered uh, Shelby to drive for them. But Shelby turned them down because Enzo would kind of pit their his drivers against each other, kind of right. like a. Um, competition kind of a competition like you know who's better gonna who would evolve the fastest sort of thing and shelby wasn't about that so he actually turned ferrari down interesting yeah and then the second question i had i realize i'm totally like messing up your initial train of thought here but um one of the racers that we found out about later on that was racing alongside um uh miles and i think the person who who technically won le mans at the end um 
oh, what was his name? I had it and I lost it. it um, McLaren, right? Right. I uh, I forgot if he won, but yes, he was. He was one, one he of the final. One, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So was that the same McLaren that actually made the car McLaren, or is that just a, a coincidence in terms of the name? I am not sure. I was. Oh, gonna, I was, I've got some good I, questions I, over right, here no, for that, you. That's, uh, I was wondering about that, and I meant to look it up, and um, life happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to check that out because that was another thing too. Like, Keto, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was the case because it just it seemed to me that you have a lot of these names that in today's world, I mean, it's synonymous with performance and uh, engineering feats of of expertise and and just works of of art and so. But at the, when they were younger, maybe they start out as just race car drivers. I I would not doubt it because it would be too much irony if. Uh, Shelby knew a bunch of motorheads from England and one of them happened to be McLaren and McLaren was a race car driver and McLaren was also involved in Formula One as well as uh, 24 Hours in Le Mans. I, and then they started a sports car company and they also race today. Yeah. Like it'd be too, I mean, I wouldn't push it. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. Another aspect to the plot that I really found myself appreciating was the exploration between mindsets of these different groups. And so like you, and, and there's, there's two main groups that I was focusing on. One was of course the owners that we just talked about. They have their own social circles where they have their yes men and they have their lieutenants, so to speak. And they are more concerned with continuing that, that level of um, just supremacy, right? Like they, they want to have, the kudos, the pomp and circumstance. They want to be able to puff out their chest and say, yes, you know, my car company is the best in the world kind of thing. And then the second group are the folks who actually are the race car drivers, who are the managers and the the grease monkeys and the people who actually just, they have a pure passion for all things automobile where like, the, you know, they, they know how to put together and take apart a car. They're constantly making alterations and changes to make it the best and fastest handling everything you can think of with a car. And so I, I really liked just the, the contrast between these two groups because they were, they were still linked together, of course, but it was interesting how the philosophies were completely different. How like, for instance, Henry Ford, the second, he was pontificating all the time about what he was expecting and how Ford's the best and how we've gone to war and how like we're going to beat Ferrari and all this kind of stuff. But really like when it came down to like the Le Mans, for instance, he didn't even stay for the entire 24 hours. Right. He, he got in his, his little fancy schmancy helicopter and takes off and has a nice dinner and goes to bed and then comes back. And meanwhile, the pit crew and the race car driver are just going for 24 hours straight. And they're the ones who are really the deciding factor of whether or not, these these upper echelon groups are able to either you know smile for the camera and have all the wine and roses versus the the losers and so i thought from from my my standpoint i was like man that it, it was just insane to see that because i feel as though you can apply that to any industry it's not just limited to the automobile industry <clears throat> and i think that especially when it comes and i i find myself relating to Christian Bale's character and well, I could just say Ken Miles and, and Carol Shelby 
not because I know anything about cars, because I don't. I, 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 <laughs> I know about uh, the extent of my knowledge has to do with checking the dipstick and seeing how much oil I have, and that's about <laughs> it. However, <clears throat> in terms of their passion, in terms of, of their constant desire to want to, to do better and to make it the best it can be, I could relate to that. And there are other instances where you have people who, you know, they're, they're just, they have that pure drive, right? There's a pureness to it where that's all they care about. They don't care about all the glamor and all the, the press and, and people lauding over them to them. The payoff is when they can actually design a car that handles and does, you know, basically breaking records. It's just, it's that, I can't remember how they described it in the movie, but it's like when, when you hit that moment when you're driving so fast where you, you are completely in sync with the vehicle, like your body becomes synonymous with all the moving parts. And I think that's where um, just they, they, they have that feeling of, of transcending into re- being re- reminded of why they're doing this in the first place. Right. Well, I mean, I think you touch on a lot of, a lot of aspects. Uh, I mean, the switching out drivers from, you know, or, or I should say, if you're, the drivers from America or Italy or Germany or Austria, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, I think all industry recognizes where passion lies. Yes. And you can have votes in a committee all day long about what you think would be popular. But when it comes down to uh, finite, just real on, on needle nose points like racing, how is the car going to handle? How is it going to feel? You know, it, this is not for sale. This is just for PR, basically. It's just for sport. What's the best we can do? That a committee can't vote on. That you need somebody who's an expert who's going to be living and breathing this all day long. And a you know, no matter if you work on a Apple computer or a Microsoft computer or a Sony computer, if someone says, hey, you have a passion for digital design, you're going to say, okay, well, I need a work machine. And they'll say, okay, this is the best we got. You'll say, okay, I can use this. Mm-hmm. So with the race car, a lot of these gearheads, they will, uh, they're really in tune with the car because they, it's not about the music. It's about, okay, you know, can I feed, can I feel the feedback in the steering wheel when I go through this turn? Um, or at this RPM, when does the wheel start to break loose? And all that stuff starts to come down to it because when you're pushing the car as hard as you can and trying not to get in a wreck, it's controlled chaos. And you need to be able to trust the car uh, that it's going to do exactly what you tell it to do because that car is either going to kill you <laughs> or it's going to save your life. Um, and that's exactly what uh, Shelby did in the movie is, is he, he liked the MG body of this British car, mm-hmm. but it wasn't fast enough. He wanted it to be a muscle car, but loved the design. And that's where the, the Cobra basically came for is the idea came from this MG car, which I think that's where he, I don't know this for sure, but I think that's probably where he met Ken Miles because Ken Miles was a mechanic for for MG. Oh, okay. And, uh, and that's where the whole thing started. Also with the GT40, uh, the GT40 was from Lola Motors, which was also a British car company. Ford had the idea of it looking more like a, you know, kind of shark finny and whatnot. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of where the design came from. But um, 
gearheads are gearheads. And so you take one body from here and you take maybe suspension from there and then you take a motor from another spot and you put it all together and you try to just make the, the fastest car you can. But that's where the soul comes in. That's where the passion comes in. Sure. And that's what, I mean, if you're going to win a race and you don't need a four-door committee car, you need someone who knows specifically what you're going for. And that it, that doesn't come around very often. That's very few, you know, one person on the planet is going to know that or 10 people on the planet are going to know that. Well, and I appreciated too the fact that Ken Miles wasn't just a race car driver. He was a grease monkey. Like he knew the car inside and out as well. And he was very honest and blunt about what the issues were that he was realizing as he would test drive the car at its various stages. I love that. I loved how he came out. He's like, this is going on. I think we need to do this, this and that. And he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't sugarcoat it. He, he was just very honest. I, I, well, I, another one of my favorite scenes from the film was when they they took the the computer that they had set up with the car and they just went back to the basics of, I don't, it looked like strings, like little ropes tied on with like tape or something. And, and like just for whatever reason, that seemed to really be telling in terms of what they needed to adjust. I'm sure there's probably like a a technical name for doing that kind of thing on a car. I just, like I said, I I don't know what that is. Yeah, I think they do something similar or they used to do something similar when they put a car in the wind tunnel to see how aerodynamic it is. And I think after that one scene, they were saying, okay, well, you know, you're you're supposed to be, the whole car is supposed to be 40 inches high to be right regulation. But if we can adjust this, that, and the other, we can get more aerodynamics and basically make the car faster. Because power is one thing, but if you have power and no handling or power and no aerodynamics, you increase the drag. Yeah. Or if you have power, but the car is very heavy, then it also, you know, it drags the, you know, the down. So, um, and, and a computer can't tell that. I mean, yeah. you, you can input stuff in the computer and the computer can tell you you're doing great, but um, the computer is not necessarily in sync with the car and the computer's not driving the car. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. You know, another thing too that you touched upon earlier is the the, the concept of, of decision by committee. And I think, uh, it, it, again, this is a universal thing that so many different industries can relate to where you have people that are not in the trenches with everyone else. They're so high level that they cannot make the right decisions. They think they're making the right decisions. And especially when you're surrounded by other people who have different types of motives and that sort of thing the the waters can easily get muddied and i really appreciated how this film explored the way that the pit crew and carol shelby and ken miles dealt with that and how there were times where the whole thing could have completely fallen apart you know especially when they were manipulating situations to get ken miles out of there and carol shelby had to really be smart about how he could bring miles back into the fold and you know, again, it goes back into that, that sense of, of having that passion, having, you know, you, what, what is your reason? What is your purpose for being here? Is it just to make money and have the glory or is it to, to find that sweet spot of when you're racing? And, and I think probably another scene that I loved, there was one toward the end where I can't remember who it is, but it was that one guy who was basically the kind of the second in command to Henry yep. Ford, the second. And he comes down and tries to, to manipulate stuff. And Shelby had had it. He like throws his coffee on the floor and, and uh, you know, in the pit area. And he's like, all right, get out of here now, leave, get out of here. You know, like, like he was, he just was not having it. And 
to a certain extent, I've had situations that are, I found myself thinking like, like it, it kind of triggered something in me when I saw that scene because I've had certain jobs in the past where I have a team and we're working on things and when we are maxed out and we are doing what we know what needs to be done and then someone will come in clueless or whatever and, and they're just trying to get something done because it helps to benefit them or maybe they're out of touch or whatever and you have to step up, especially as you know, the, the, the supervisor or team leader or whatever and act as a shield for the rest of your team because you know with, with you being in the trenches, you understand precisely what the priorities are. And I just, I loved how they, they exemplified that over and over again. I mean, even the, the, the phone, like when they were, they kept being so annoying, calling down to the pit crew area. And finally Shelby's like, do not answer that phone. You leave that phone alone. And, uh, I mean, even, uh, another scene that I love too, was Shelby strolling out across the field during the Daytona. I think it was, you know, with that, that chalkboard. And, and I think it said something like 7,000 7, RPMs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was awesome how um, just there, there was a certain type of, I don't even know how to really describe it. Almost like that driver swagger or something where like he wasn't phased by all of the, the rules and, and all the, you know, like, well, you can do this, but you can't do that. And I make sure you please Mr. So-and-so, you know, and he just, he acted on his gut. And I think that that really will resonate with people who go see this film and they'll have their own stories that they can relate to as a result. Absolutely. And, and I think there's something to be said for that where uh, someone who operates on their own passion, they'll go down in history as being probably the best in their, in, in their industry. Right. But no one goes down in history to be the best yes man, company man type of person. Right. Those people are forgotten. And it, it's, you know, so many great scenes in the movie, and those two scenes that you you brought up are, are are some of my favorites too. But it all it makes perfect sense because I've been through that too, where I want to look at somebody who's above me and say, "You hired me to do this job. Exactly. I'm doing this job, and I'm doing it very well. Why are you distracting me? You know, this is going to be this is whatever you're doing is going. You to, hired me because you know I have a specialty in this field. Correct. And if you negatively impact the situation, it falls on me, not on you. So right. let me do this for the company so that we can all succeed. And sometimes you get so far in the bureaucracy, they can't see the light. And that it's beyond me why, why the company at that level loses the vision of what their, what the accomplishment is. Another scene that I thought was so telling was when they got Henry Ford, the second to actually step into their prototype car. And then Shelby took him for a joy ride. Yeah. And just, and to see the facade just instantly melt away of him trying to act like he's like this tough boss and, he expects all this excellence and he just starts crying like a little baby. And I think that that was just, it was, that unto itself was so telling where it's like, man, this, this is a, a visual metaphor of how disconnected you are from the very group that's trying to make your wish become a reality. And yet when you're, when you're presented with how they are so close to achieving that, you cannot handle it. You literally cannot handle what it is that you are asking these guys to do, despite all the pressures you're placing on them and all the distrust. And I think that's one of the main reoccurring themes in this film that also people can relate to is the idea of trust. You need to trust your people. You need to trust that they're going to do the job and they're going to do a good job. And especially when you're hiring people who are just once again, if they live for the industry that they work in, then they're, you know, they're going to burn the midnight oil. They're going to, they, they themselves are not even doing it so much to please you as they are 
after this relentless pursuit of perfection, no matter what industry that you were in. So what other scenes that uh, stood out to you? You know, I loved all the, actually all the scenes with Ken Miles and his son, I thought were very touching. Yes. Uh, Ken Miles knew he was good, but he didn't throw it in anybody's face. I, lo- I love how Christian Bale acted as Ken Christian Miles. Bale is just awesome. He, every role, he he just, he nails it. Every time, yeah, that, this is very true. And I, you know, when, when I think about him in Batman or I think about him in that uh, that one cowboy movie I saw recently, I can't remember the name, terrible at names. <laughs> uh, and then I see him in this, he's, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. But I love the way he was scripted and the way he acted in this movie. And I, I loved his interaction he's with He's like a 60s son. rebel. Yeah, but... You know, with this, the, the family scenes with him. I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, um, I I never got to really go to the races, and but I always loved cars. I and mean, yeah. I would stare at cars. I could watch the races on TV, and I didn't know who anybody was. I just loved when like when they would switch the camera to, um, from like the blimp to inside the car, and all of a sudden you're in the racer's head and seeing what he's seeing, all that stuff, and watching his interaction with his boy, and like that one scene where. Uh, Ken Miles wakes up. He can't sleep. He kind of walks, probably gets something to drink or something. Yeah. And notices the sun's lights on in, in his room and walks in there and his son has drawn the map of the racetrack and was just wanting the, the details from his dad. You know, he's kind of living through his, his, his dad in a way. Well, he's looking up to his dad like his father's his, his personal hero. He's at that wonderful age of just being... E- uh, easily impressioned upon and, and he just he he wants to to learn as much as he can regarding what his dad does i think that's a very sweet thing about kids well true but i mean as a guy your cars and you know, going fast is kind of part of our dna yeah yeah so you can appreciate it when you're eight nine ten years old and you can appreciate it when you're 60 70 80 years old mm-hmm. you know i mean that that's never lost in a man's life from Part A to Part B. I would even say women on the on um uh, the racetrack too. I mean that there are women out there that my goodness. I mean I would have never have thought that they would have the same level of interest, but they do. Like you have women out there who like whether they're race car drivers or maybe them themselves are mechanics and and they can roll with the boys. You know, yeah. it's it's pretty impressive. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, now that you say that, there was a lady who um back when I was doing the car stereo. Uh, we were working on this lady's Porsche and she was, we were talking cars and she says, Hey, do you know why they put the ignition on the left side in the Porsche? No, and actually I, I, I don't. It's cause it's German and they're different <laughs> over there. And she says to me, she goes, she says, before the Germans get here. Yeah. She says it comes from the racing heritage because if the car ever crashed and caught fire, they had to turn the car off and all they would have to do is stick their hand right in the, in the, uh, Oh, that makes sense. Through the window to turn the car off. They wouldn't have to reach past the driver to the, for the right-hand side ignition. Interesting. I was like, oh, that's hot. That's so, so cool. So she knew that. that. Yeah. Way to awesome. go. So um, anyhow, so back to the scene. Um, you know, Ken Miles doesn't really want to talk about it. You know, he wants to rest. He wants to sleep. But then he really gets into it, starts talking about the details, about the turns that he has to go through and how much he has to let on ver- the gas versus let off the gas and how he has to look out for the car to behave a certain way. And he's really getting, his son is just eating it up. And I thought, yep, that could be me. That's me right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there, there were quite a few scenes in there with the father-son relationship that I thought was super cool. And like just the, the little racetrack thing you talked about where, that he drew out. 
and wanting to know all different things. Personally, my uh, probably was some of the most memorable moments with the father son relationship is I just loved how his son cheered for his dad. Right. Like at, at every opportunity that, that came out, I mean, he was all about it. He just lost his composure and was just all about just being so proud of his dad. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. The chemistry between Ken miles and uh, Carol Shelby, I also thought was very believable in the film. I think that both Matt Damon and Christian Bale did a fine job of just cultivating that chemistry it seemed very authentic. It didn't seem like it was forced at all. And I liked, I personally really liked the idea of how the race car driver was uh, from the UK, as opposed to Carol Shelby, who is not only American, but he was, I, I believe he's from Texas. Yeah, Dallas, baby. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, you have this Texan and, and uh, this Brit who are together and it, it was just super fun to see their relationship. And I, for one, really appreciated how you could tell they've known each other for so long. And how, yeah, there are times when they can disappoint each other. There are times when they can get on each other's nerves. But what trumped all of that was the fact that they could read each other so well. And I think something like that is is truly special in the real world, where if you have someone where, like, you don't have to say one word, but you can tell by the look on their face and pinpoint what it is that's going on. Um, and... I just, I don't know that you saw that quite a few times through the movie where one of them was vexed or one of them was conflicted or one of them was sad or one of them was excited about something or whatever it is. And I just, I really enjoyed watching their relationship. I I, I truly did. I, I thought that I could watch another two hours of this, of just them doing their thing. I mean, even after the Le Mans thing was, was over with and just seeing how they continued to hang out together, I just found myself enjoying seeing that that friendship that brotherhood on on the screen yeah and even at the end uh, like, like you mentioned this kind of goes back to the other point before with the passion is uh I, I watched this uh this small documentary with with carol shelby and and the questioner asked him about money mm. and his response was well money just gives me more uh, means to do what i love to do yeah and it wasn't necessarily about the winning for him it was just about making fast cars right. and racing. And so at the end, when uh, Ford, of course, wins, that's that's no spoiler, <laughs> they win the race, <laughs> uh, that uh, you know someone else got the glory because they won by an inch. And Carol and Ken talk about how they can make the car better. And Carol says, well, what are we doing here? We got so let's go back and let's, let's work on it. I mean, that is to them to a T. Yeah. And again, even with, with them walking away, you, you, they realized that due to a technicality that one of the other race car drivers got first place. And the romanticized component to this whole thing was that it was Miles' race to lose, that he was a lap ahead of everybody. He broke his own record. And he was able to overcome some of his maverick antics and actually just be a part of the team for once. And, and that was a huge triumph for him personally. You saw his wife be super proud of him for doing that. And you can tell that he was a bit, he, he was bummed that like, yeah, he didn't get it because yeah. you know, he should have gotten it. And now oh, so he, when he's looking in the rearview mirror and he's not seeing anybody yeah. on the rise, he's like, all right guys, catch up. Let's go. Kind of thing. I'm like, Oh man. But for me, like I, 
it's it, yeah, I felt bad that, that he didn't get the glory for that. He didn't actually officially get the first place position. But I thought, my goodness, like for him to be able to walk away from that race, knowing in his head, he's like, yeah, I won that race, even though, yeah, it's not on paper or whatever. Like I decided to slow down. There was no problem with my vehicle or whatever. And I, I confronted um, a flaw of mine personally and was able to overcome that. You know, I just I just really thought of that as being kind of the bigger man moment for himself. And not only that, but like you said, even when the press was running out and the fans were frolicking toward the person who actually won first place and you had all the flowers being distributed, that sort of thing. I loved how both Ken Miles and Carol Shelby just ended up just walking away from it, not with with uh, feelings of being butthurt or anything like that. But like, <laughs> but really, I mean, like, again, their minds were just set forward. Like, you know, I noticed there are some other issues with the car and I think that we can iron those out. We need to take it back to the track. Like they were already thinking ahead of like how they can make the car even better and faster for next time. And my understanding is, is that they continued as a team and won Le Mans, like, I think, what, four times overall? Uh, it was at least three times, if not four. Okay. There was several times there within, like, the, I think, from 1967 to 1970, somewhere around there. Is no, that it was right? still in the 60s. It was okay. both in the 60s. And, uh, of course, one of the, the, the foreshadowing elements in the plot was how oftentimes cars will not respond they, they you, or maybe the driver will lose control and, and you will have car crashes and whether or not the, the driver is able to get out of the car is kind of up in the air every time. And we saw that over and over again where Carol Shelby, of course, he was in a race, he lost control and then the car caught fire and then he had his back on fire and he didn't even realize it. And then there was a time when, Miles was testing out the the prototype for the the Ford GT and and the brakes failed and they were trying to figure out what they could do with that and luckily he was able to, to walk away from that and it's interesting how it examines the idea the notion that when you tempt fate over and over and over again how eventually more often than not it will catch up with you right it doesn't matter what that fate is that you're tempting. But in this instance, it was such a classic example of how they were thrill seekers. They, they were pushing the, the, the edge of engineering to just that, that bleeding edge in terms of how they can get this car to be the best it can be. But unfortunately you are in this new area that is just, it's filled with fog. There, there, there is no roadmap or, blueprint to, to kind of show you the way. And uh, the tragic thing about that is, is that sometimes that leads to loss of life. Well, true. Well, at the same time, they didn't have a whole lot of time to design a very safe car. They had enough time to make a fast car. Yeah. And so there were some corners that were crossed and you know, the fuel lines were basically kind of running almost along the lines of the door. Really? Yeah. And so if there was a car crash, I mean, yeah, the car most likely would catch fire. Uh, but, you know, ever since they they had a design, they've improved upon the design. You know, nowadays, so you know, that's rarely ever going to happen. Um, but sometimes other corners have to be cut because you're, you're looking for performance. And part of the performance is the aerodynamics of the car. Yeah. So if you make the body a certain way, 
the rest of the car kind of has to fit in that mold that you design for aerodynamics. And if the fuel line has to run a certain way, well, then you just hope you don't crash on that side sort of thing. <laughs> you know, I was talking recently with a Joygasm Patreon supporter, Sean, and he's a, a huge car enthusiast. He absolutely loves various exotic cars. He mentioned to me about how dangerous the Le Mans really was back in the day about how it, pretty much it was expected that there would be someone who would probably perish yeah. during the course of the race because those cars were so unsafe. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, if you think about racing from the the, the, the beginning, there was no seatbelts and you had an open cockpit. Oh, they had no seatbelts. Yeah. Well, no. Well, no. In the beginning racing. Like oh. Racing oh, in the way beginning. Yeah. They didn't have any seatbelts and they were flying around tracks and, and the tires were real thin, like little bicycle tire sort of thing. That's right. And so, and they were dirt tracks. They were in pavement. And so, you know, as we continue along, you know, the, the chronology of racing, then more kind of, I guess, restrictions or safety measures, you know, put in place. I mean, some of these racetracks didn't even have like guardrails on them for right. crying out loud. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you, if you crash, you fly off in a field somewhere and you might not even have paramedics to come help you out. You were dead. Let's switch gears over to cinema photography. This was actually one, another one of the highlights of the film. I really liked how they framed all these different shots. I loved the look that they came up with in post and, and just the way they shot it. It just it had a crispy 60s vibe, 50s, 60s vibe, you know. And I also really enjoyed the, the scenes that they showed of the cars racing from the point of view of the race car driver. In fact... If I had to have some sort of negative critique about the film, it's that they didn't have enough of those shots. There were certain shots where it was like a first person view of the car as it's careening around corners. And it instantly just made me feel like I was driving the car. And, and I, I literally could feel just the kinetic energy and the inertia of the vehicle just sitting in the theater just sitting in my seat. I'm not moving. I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Like you just feel it. But I was surprised as to how few of those types of shots were there because I mean, obviously you're going to have major car fans coming in and they want that adrenaline rush. They want to be able to feel, you know, just, just the, the sheer sense of power and speed. And I just wish, you know, if they had included maybe a little or like five minutes worth of diff different POV clips of the car where you're just, you could see them, whether they're barreling down a straightaway or they're taking a hairpin turn or whatever. Like I just, I wanted to see a few more of those shots cut in. I was curious if, if you felt the same way or not. I did feel the same way, but you know, it's, it's just a toss up because you have to get the, you have to kind of move the, the movie along. And if you stay on the shot too long, and it'll start to drag. They kind of have to cut it a little quicker. Well, it, that's what I was saying. Cut it throughout. Like, don't have, like, just five minutes of just that. But, like, right. you know, have, like, five minutes of B-roll that then you can cut and splice in. You know, here's two seconds. Here's five seconds here. And, you know, just that sort of thing. True. But I also think that maybe they thought of that and, and they had to get through a certain amount of races. And if they kept on showing, like, the side view of the shot of this race and then times five for, you know, however many races they had, I think it would start to feel like they did it too many times. I don't know. Maybe I was happy with the way it is. I loved it being in my face because racing is really in your face. Sure. And that with the, so the perspectives and the cinematography, and I have to throw in the sound too, because 
Those are. Let's way- just go into it. Let's talk about sound, Steve. Go those ahead. Those are the way the cars sounded. Those, oh. those are not fake. I know that you are particular about the way vehicles sound, whether they are in games or movies. So I've mentioned plenty of times where I'm playing Forza and, you know, I don't know what goes into the sound design or the the, the memory restriction that they have to, 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 you know, because I know the, the microphone. Yeah, you can record a great sound. I just don't know how they why they can't transfer it into a game per Uh se. But that's not my field. I don't know the restrictions. But all I know is that what I'm expecting is for it to sound true. And I've seen enough. I've never heard the Ferrari in, in, in life, uh, but I've seen plenty of documentaries on it, and that's the way the car sounds. But the GT40, on the other hand, I have heard it uh, in person because I was going to work one day back in California, mm-hmm. and there was a guy who lived in the county that we grew up in who had who had one. They, they had a replica was it like a car kit or was it like no, an authentic? It was an authentic. And he was driving in front of me and he wasn't goosing it or anything, but he was driving in front of me and I could smell like the raw gas uh-huh. coming off it and stuff. And it sounded just like it did in the movie. Yeah. So you heard it from me. It's factual. Steve anyway. gets gives it a two thumbs up with the sound. <laughs> but also, I mean, with, with the racing, it's you want it. You want that loud, almost distorted exhaust motor sound. I mean, that's all part sure. of it. If everything sounded like a Volkswagen Beetle, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, it wouldn't be that exciting. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and the XD theater we saw it in too at Cinemark was awesome. That, they have so exquisite good. sound system yeah, in there. They do. Man. Every movie we watch, I'm just like, man, I'm getting my money's worth just in the right. sound alone. But this, you know, honestly, it wasn't IMAX, but the theater's uh, screen size Dude, that that was big. Yeah, for your hometown theater, that uh, the XD is definitely worth the money. I also think it was nice to touch upon the soundtrack itself. I ended up buying the soundtrack right after I saw the movie because there were several rock and roll songs that I thought were just super fun. Right. I had never heard them before. Right. Clearly, they were made in the the sixties, and I it was just it, one of the funny things about those songs is when you're listening to just the soundtrack itself. I forget about how short songs were back in the day. And it made sense because of the way that they were recorded in the studios because they had like those, I don't know if it was called eight track tapes or whatever it was, but essentially everything was recorded on the tape. And so you only had so much space and time to be able to have it there because they didn't have computers back then. Uh, But it was, so it's just crazy because like every song is like two minutes. And like right when the song gets going, I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden it starts to fade away. I'm like, wait a minute. It's not done yet. Wait, we got another minute or something here. But did you get the soundtrack? I have not got it yet, but I want it. But I had the same feeling. I thought, man, thank goodness someone didn't put, you know, Creedence Clearwater back in there on another movie again. You know, they make some great music, but when you start to hear the same song in a ton of different movies, you think, come on guys, there was a bunch of music in that era that was really good. Yeah. Someone has to have a record of it. (laughs) Sure. Someone's using the same, like, you know, mixtape on all these movies. So I was really thankful that they they chose the songs they did. And yes, I won't be picking it up. Yeah, well, very nice indeed, Steve. Was there anything that we are forgetting to talk about? Well, I will tell you what. We've been going 100 miles per hour yes, in this conversation. Have. So one thing that I really wanted to, to see, and it's not, and again, this is not a criticism, but uh, I would have liked to see more of the 
concept of the vehicle shown. I mean, they, what they did was they said, okay, you know, Shelby's flying off. He's taking this job with Ford and he's going to make a car and it's going to come back and Ken Miles is going to drive it. And so that's just what they did. And at one scene he left and in one scene he was back and here's the car, you know, and then they made modifications to it, of course. But I wanted to see all the thought process and the design that went into the car. <clears throat> maybe when the, the Blu-ray comes out, they'll have an extended version. I really hope they do because there's a ton of history. Yeah. Which brings me to my second. And so again, that's not a criticism because the movie only had to be so long and it was a pretty long movie as, as it is. Uh-huh. And they can only show so much. But the other criticism I, I guess I would have is that it was too short. The, the film was too short. Yeah, I wanted to see a lot more. I could have sat the movie, there. Wasn't the movie like two and a half yeah, hours? Yeah, it was two and a half hours. Oh. And I wanted more, baby. I mean, I, you know, Lord of the Rings was three hours long, and I loved every minute of it. And this is the same way. I wanted it to be longer. I mean, I didn't want them to, to tidy it up. I mean, give me everything. When you listen to Carol Shelby talk on some of these interviews, uh-huh. he'll start to kind of ramble. Is he still alive? He, no, he, no he's, he's not. Oh, okay. He'll, he'll start to ramble and get off topic about other stuff, like other gearhead stuff, and it's all good rambling. Like, you don't care what he talks about. He's almost <laughs> like John Madden in a way. Like, if you could hear John Madden speak, yeah. it probably wouldn't matter what he said about sports. Like, you would just love that he was speaking. Right. And so if they could transfer more of that into the movie and have the, the, the hit, more of his history laid out, mm. I would love it even more. Well, good. <clears throat> well, it, I uh, if you have nothing else that you want to cover, I could go into movie trivia courtesy by MDB. Sure, let's do All it. All right, let's go in. Matt Damon said the number one reason he wanted to do the movie was to work with Christian Bale. Oh, my goodness. A little bit of a brotherly professional love there. During one of the scenes at the Le Mans circuit, Jackie Ix can be seen standing in the crowd despite his success with Ferrari in Formula One. Ix is widely known for holding the highest number of wins at the Le Mans 24 hours at the time with six victories being 1969, 1975, 1976, 1977, 1981, and 1982. His first win was in a Ford GT. Matt Damon and Christian Bale agreed that the brawl between their respective characters was the most fun scene to film. Both have experienced, um, excuse me, both have experience of extensively choreographed fight scenes that take weeks to learn. So it was a positive change that they only had to rehearse the brawl for 20 minutes and were not required to look lethal while doing it. And honestly, that was one of the, right. You know, again, in a, a list of great scenes, that was just yet another great scene. We didn't really touch upon that too much, but definitely had that brotherly component to the whole thing. In preparation for his role, Christian Bale took race driving lessons at the Bondurant High Performing, or excuse me, I'm I'm saying this wrong, Bondurant High Performance Driving School. Have you heard of that? I have not, no. As it happened, the founder of the school had been a friend of Ken Miles. Nice. So in addition to the driving, Bale also got to hear stories of the 1960s racing scene. Bale's instructor and the film's stunt coordinator, Robert Nagel, later stated that he's hands down the best actor I've ever trained. Oh, ain't that nice. According to Matt Damon, Christian Bale had to lose... 70 pounds before filming began, Bale had previously gained a lot of weight for his role in Vice and had about seven months to lose it all 
and then some to play the lean race car driver. Of course, by the name of Kid Miles. Damon uh, also inquired of Bale how he managed to lose all the weight, to which Bale replied that he simply didn't eat. He just went all anorexic, I guess. Damon said he was impressed by Bale's monk-like discipline. And he really is. I mean, when you think of all the different roles he's done, it's amazing how, like, in The Machinist, I mean, he got so rail thin. And then I think the next film after that was Batman, where he had to bulk up. And he just got, like, super juiced and buff. In order to recreate the Le Mans circuit as it existed in the 1960s, the scenes take place on the racetrack had to be shot in five different locations. This proved a challenge in terms of continuity as not only the cars had to be correctly placed for each shot, but the weather had to be consistent as well. Visual effects was critical in fixing a variety of continuity errors, some of which were as simple as adjusting clocks at the right time. Let's see here. Christian Bale was originally set to play Enzo Ferrari in Michael Mann's Enzo Ferrari film, but dropped out due to concerns he had regarding getting the proper weight in time for the movie. And director Michael Mann replaced him with Hugh Jackman. I haven't even heard of that film. Have you heard of that? No. We'll have to take a look at that. Hugh Jackman's in it? I guess he, yeah, he's the one who played Enzo. Um, and I guess the, the film is just called Enzo. No, no, Michael. Man, yeah. The film's called Enzo Ferrari. What? That's going on the Netflix list right now. <laughs> Marketed as Ford V Ferrari in North America, in most other countries around the world, it is titled Le Mans 66. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Before the Ford Motors event, to introduce the new Mustang, Shelby pilots a Lockheed Model 10 Electra with other Ford executives. Shelby did not go to school and enlist in the United States Army Air Corps, serving in World War II as a flight instructor and test pilot. He graduated with the rank of Staff Sergeant Pilot. Interesting. It says Enzo Ferrari is in production right now. So it hasn't come out yet. Okay. I was going to say, I think we would kind of feel bad about uh, you know. <laughs> passing that one up. Yeah. Now, this movie was formerly titled Go Like Hell, and Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were considered for the roles. Now, that would be interesting, too. Think about that. Imagine seeing Tom Cruise and Brad. I think the last time I saw them in a film together was, um, what was that one? What was that vampire movie called? Interview with Interview the Vampire. With the, yeah, you know, they were both in that. That would have been pretty cool, too. Yeah. I mean, we have seen Tom Cruise play a race car driver in Days of Thunder. That's true. But the question is, would you want to see him play as Ken Miles or as Carol Shelby? Neither, actually. I couldn't see him. I couldn't see him doing either. <laughs> With a lot of the testing runs and GT40 development taking place at LAX International Airport, you can regularly see the iconic theme building, which was inspired by the Jetsons cartoons in the background. It built in 1960 to 1961. This was the most recent terminal building added to the airport at the start of the 60s. Hmm. Ford distanced themselves from the film before it was released over its portrayal of Leo Beeb and Henry Ford II as villains. <laughs> no surprise there. No surprise there. I kind of, I, you know what? I had a thought that that might happen. All scenes of the Daytona 24 hour race were filmed at auto club speedway in Fontana, California. 
I wonder why they didn't just go to Daytona. That's kind of surprising. Yeah, I don't think they could do it at Daytona. Why? Because they're not racing every day. Yeah, I just don't think Daytona would have the proper locale look. Hmm. This will be the third time Matt Damon has worked with an actor who has portrayed Batman. He previously worked with Ben Affleck and George Clooney and will be starring with Val Kilmer in, in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. <laughs> it's kind of a fun look. I couldn't resist that one being Batman fan. According to his Instagram, Josh Brolin had some scenes or a cameo in the movie, but they were cut out. Oh. <laughs> this would have been Christian Bale and Matt Damon's second collaboration had the latter accepted the role of Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. I had no idea about that. Very interesting. Can you? I cannot see Matt Damon as Harvey Dent. No. I think who they got already was uh, perfect for the role. Got a couple more here. Second time that Matt Damon has played a character named Carol. He previously played one of Tina Fey's love interests in 30 Rock, who was not only named Carol, but who also was a pilot. And finally, while pitching his racing idea in 1963, Lee Iokoa notes that James Bond does not drive a Ford. Bond did drive a Mustang in Thunderball from 1965 and later in Diamonds Are Forever from 1971. <laughs> and that is your movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. So, Steve, what are your concluding thoughts on Ford v. Ferrari? Well, I'm going to have to say, like I said in the beginning, it's it was everything I wanted it to be. I loved every minute of it. My only criticisms were hardly even criticisms at all. It's My criticisms were just basically me being a fan and wanting to see more. Uh, but that just means I can hope for special features on the Blu-ray or 4K version. Sure. When it comes out, you should definitely get the 4K version of that one. Yeah, I mean every, I mean it, when you when you see a movie and you don't want it to end, and the casting is good, the sound is good, the music is good, the chair is comfy, and uh, <laughs> you know, and you're a fanboy of everything that they're showing on screen, and they're doing the story right. My gosh. Oh my goodness. I mean, they could have taken this movie any direction they wanted to take it, but the way they took it is, is inspirational. It is, to me, it's, it, yeah, it might not be a hundred percent factual, but the way they told the story, a lot of people can relate it. Even if you're not a fanboy of, of, of racing and, or being a gearhead, there was tons of other scenes that showed, like we were talking about how you have bureaucracy getting in the way of passion. Um, and a lot of folks kind of think can can relate to that. So if you can't relate to rela racing, you you can relate to just be, being the man in your industry and and uh, you know having all these obstacles in the way. I can't wait to see it again. Ah, well, and I'm just dying to know, Steve. Well, how many stars are you going to give it? Wholehearted five star. Five Russ. star rating right here from Stevovich. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I had a hard time even getting to sleep that that night. I was thinking about that movie in my bed and how happy I was, and and I felt like a little kid and I felt like an adult. And man, I I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Fantastic. Well, for me, Steve, 
Before I saw this film, I was looking at a few reviews that had come out early and uh, it kind of psyched me out a little bit because the reviews I did see, they seem to be just kind of okay or good in terms of, of their concluding thoughts where they said, well, you know, it's a, it's a decent film, but I would have liked this, this and that and the other and that sort of thing. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if, if this film is going to be any good. And I'm here to tell you and all of our listeners that those reviewers need to have their heads examined because this film is absolutely a blast. It is wonderful to go see. I really just, I mean, from the, the 1950s and 60s to seeing the, the chemistry of the acting performances between Matt Damon and Christian Bale, as well as the others, everybody in the film were perfectly cast. I love the music. The cars themselves, they are so iconic and classic in terms of their designs. Even to this day, I look at them and I, I just, I want one. I just, I would love to if not own one, then just, just have the pleasure of, of driving it and getting that experience. But I think, too, the, the one of the film's greatest strengths is the relatability. And whether it's a father-son relationship or even a husband-wife relationship or it's um, an employee-employer um, relationship, you have a lot of these, these, these different types of setups that... I think anybody can draw comparisons to and can be reminded of similar situations that they were in. And I think it's, it's a, a wonderfully accessible movie in that regard too, just because oftentimes people, you know, you, you go and you, and you see something and you feel like, like, well, that was a good story, but there's no way I can relate to that. And I feel as though this was one of those films and I truly appreciated the idea of the how different it is, the contrast of folks who are in those, those upper echelons of management versus the people who have a passion to do what it is that they do. And I think that that will forever be a struggle. I don't think that it, it will ever be contained within a time capsule of, oh, during this time period there were these types of discrepancies as to how to properly manage your company or whatever it is. I think that it's unfortunately a part of the human condition. I think that there are certain flaws within all of us that have to be overcome. And I think when it comes down to it, I think that it's so vitally important to have a laser focus on, on what it is that you want out of something. What is your purpose for being here? And I feel like the film did a fantastic job of examining that and coming away with just these two people who were, who were absolute experts and almost dare I say Renaissance men for their time as it applies to the, the car racing industry. And I was, I was with you. I, I really did not want the film to end. I, it was fun. I think that was the, that was the coolest thing about it is that especially in this age and, and believe me, I'm a comic book movie fan. I love me some comic book movies, but I can also really appreciate seeing a film that has nothing to do with that. And I found it honestly refreshing to watch a true story and one that was an American triumph because um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of those types of stories as well. But I, I don't know, like having original filmmaking like this come about 
it, it acts and serves as a reminder of how, yes, there are lots of other types of stories to be told. Not everything has to be told wearing spandex and a cape <laughs> kind of thing. Not that I'm, I'm dogging those types of movies at all, because as everyone knows, I love those movies too, but uh, I think that, that it would be fantastic to be able to see more of these types of movies come out. And especially when it comes to period pieces, I think that's, that so many times those types of films can be overlooked, but you know, I, I, I was thinking of um, a film I watched recently that won some Oscars last year, which was uh, the green book. And it was absolutely a wonderful movie. That movie also, I believe took place around the fifties and sixties too. And I mean, it had nothing to do with racing cars or anything like that, but um, just really, really touching film. And it was also a true story. It was based on real people. And I don't know. I, I hope that Hollywood continues to, to look for more films that, that are in fact like that. I would say for um, any types of like, like critiquing here, as I mentioned earlier, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of like the kind of first person POV racing and just having more of that, just being in the moment of, of tearing through the racetracks and that sort of thing. But that is a very small little nitpick that I have. And otherwise um, I believe is, is just a probably one of the best films of the year. And as a result, I would say I would give it I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I, I too will give it five stars. Oh, snap. <laughs> I was holding my breath a wee bit. I wanted to make you squirm, Steve. <laughs> I wanted to see how sweaty you could get in that chair over there. Oh, I was getting a little bit greasy. Finish line was coming up. I wasn't sure if I was going to win. <laughs> That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm. That's spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M. And consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you next week. Good night!